Sermon number 527, Little Foxes That Spoil the Vines, number one, Failing to Mind Your Own Business, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on February 15, 1970. The song of psalms which is Solomon's, Oh, that you would kiss me with the kisses of your mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant, your name is oil poured out, therefore the maidens love you. Draw me after you, let us make haste, the king has brought me into his chambers. We will exult and rejoice in you, we will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. I am very dark. But comely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am swarthy, because the sun has scorched me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They laid me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon, or why should I be like one who wanders beside the flocks of your companions? King Solomon was a very great man. He was filled with all types of abilities. He was one of those ten talented men that the Bible speaks so much about. And like all capable individuals, because he was able, he was a very busy individual. He found himself involved in the business of his nation, in the business of other people, in the business of his religion. And because he was busy, he suddenly realized one day that he had been so busy with other people's business that he had neglected his own. He had failed miserably, like many of us, in minding our own business. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, yet my own vineyard I have not kept. You know, that's a very sorrowful plight we get ourselves into. I want you to make sure, though, that you hear Solomon for what he is really saying, because there are many people that take this idea of minding your own business as a clue and a cue for that horrible thing which is called isolationism. King Solomon was not an isolationist. And he certainly in this text, no matter how it sounds to you, is not preaching isolationism. His voice would not be included in that mighty chorus of so many people today who are saying that for the Christian and for the churchman there is some business which that person should not engage. For those of us who believe in God and claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, do you know that there are many people out there that say it is none of our business to be involved in the world of finance, in the world of government, and in the affairs of the social order? 
Anybody who claims something like this is totally ignorant of the scriptures, knows nothing about the mission of the church, and shows great ignorance in Christian tradition. Solomon is not advocating that we should be people who forget the business out there and mind only our own business. Don't ever accuse him of ever saying that. He never was sorry nor regretted the time that he spent working in other people's affairs and helping them to do their business. The thing that he is sorry for, though, is that he did not spend more time in taking care of his own affairs and tilling his own vineyard. And this is the plight with many of us. In being anxious about the world, in trying to fulfill our destiny of being part of the world's solution instead of part of its problem, we get ourselves so worked up in the affairs of other people that oftentimes we forget the home fires and to take care of the business which is our business to take care of. Solomon knew, as many of us are finding out in this life, minding one's own business is a very difficult, difficult, hard thing to do. The world is so established today with the fast news media that it is almost impossible for anyone who can see, hear, or feel to be ignorant of what is going on in another man's backyard. It used to be that when something new was discovered in a town down the road, you might hear about it in a day or two or maybe a week or two. Today a man steps on the moon and instantaneously we're there to watch it. It's impossible in a fast-moving world like our own to keep to your own business and to spend as much time there as you do in the other fellow's yard because the world is so small. And it's difficult also because, you see, by nature, by nature we are individuals who at times would rather deal in the affairs of others than to take care of our own. We seem just by the very nature of our animal to be people who are attracted to the affairs of other people and oftentimes neglect our own and find excuse in neglecting our own by having to deal with someone else's business. Have you ever noticed that it's those individuals who seem to fail in their own business, but always are the first with the advice as to how we should run ours. Sometimes these people are well-meaning and they're trying to help us. But I'm afraid at other times, and most of the times, their comments show evidence only of what Christian theology calls original sin, which is the tendency on the part of all of us to try and play the part of God. They know what is best for us. They have the perfect solution to that problem or to this one. If they were up, they would do this. And they try to play the part of God in solving all the solutions. Many of us are like that. Mark Twain was so right when he says, to do right is wonderful. To teach others to do right is even more wonderful and much easier. This 
is why sometimes we're involved in other people's business. It's easier to get involved in theirs than to take care of our own. And consequently, we go through this life spending too much time in the other fellow's backyard and not enough in taking care of our own vineyards. And I really think one of the weaknesses of the world and of the church and why so many of us today seem to lack that power, that ability to cope with life, is simply because we're not minding our own business. Now, please hear me very clearly. I am not in any way advocating that you forsake the problems of the world and turn inwardly and become only involved in selfish endeavors. That is not what the scripture is saying. The scripture is saying, though, that a man has a twofold responsibility. He must take care of the business of the world and to help his neighbors, but equally so, he must be involved in taking care of his own business. And you see, some of us don't know really what our business is. And because of this, God's plan is temporarily thwarted, and many of us do not know the joy and the happiness and the power that God expected to see in us when he created us to do the job and the task for which he placed us on this earth. This, I guess, is where you have to begin. You must in some way believe that God has planned your life for a particular purpose. All of us have one or two beliefs. We either think that God created us as he did with certain abilities and particular limitations so that we might be able in his name to do his will here on earth. You either believe that or you believe that your life and everyone else is a total accident and that the reason you are here is for no particular reason, that you are to be tossed to and fro with every wind and doctrine, and you are only to respond to the various actions of the elements throughout the world. You either believe one or the other. If you believe the latter, I hate to say it, but you join with many people in the world who do not see any godly promise or purpose in their own life. But if you believe with those of us who believe that God has definitely a plan for you and for me and for all people in the world, then you believe one of those basic tenets of the scriptures. We get this teaching from the Old Testament. Do you remember Jeremiah? One day he went down because he was instructed by God to go to the potter's house. And when he entered that ancient manufacturing establishment, he saw three things. He saw the potter seated on a stool. He saw the wheel upon which the potter worked. And then he saw the ugly plastic clay with which the potter worked. And at first that plastic clay was only ugly and formless. There was nothing to it. But then the wheel began to spin, and the potter's hands began to fashion. And then that which had been ugly and nothing now became something and beautiful. And that which was nothing now became a beautiful vessel. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And he showed to Jeremiah that this particular piece of clay was nothing more 
than the object and the result of a plan, a plan that was within the potter's mind. He did not work at random. He had an idea, and that idea was in his mind. He had a purpose, and that purpose came out in the finished product of that clay. And the Lord said unto Jeremiah, As you see the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. In the New Testament, we have the great illustration of planned living through the person of Jesus Christ. There never has been an individual that has lived a life so planned completely by God and carried out to its fullest degree. You never get the impression in the Bible that Jesus was doing just what he wanted to do whenever he wanted to do it. You get quite clearly the evidence that God was directing this man's life. And Jesus knew it, and especially when he said, My meat is to do the will of him who sent me. And Jesus must have thought that the disciples should follow in the same tradition that he said to the own twelve with him and to all who would ever follow as disciples of Jesus Christ. So I send you as he has sent me. For what reason has God created your life? For what purpose has God destined your days here on the face of the earth? I personally feel that it is absolutely impossible for us to even get a glimpse into the revelation that God has for us until we are willing to mind our own business, to take the time and to take the effort and to take all the available grace that comes to us through prayer, through the sacraments, through the reading of the Bible, through the meditation which we have, to reflect upon those things which God has given us and to see ourselves as instruments of God's peace and instruments of his way of righteousness. To get to know our own business before we start poking our nose in other people's business. And to see perhaps that God has us as the solution and the purpose for fulfilling another man's business. You see, God's will cannot get through sometimes if it does not get through to us. And many of us, especially those of us who call ourselves Christians, must be especially careful that we aren't so involved in the business of the world that we forget that it's God's business to work through us in our own backyard as well as clear to the uttermost parts of the world. You see, there is a tendency on far too many Christian people to have happened to them what happened to Mrs. Jellaby in, in Charles Dickens' bleak house. She was a woman who was richly involved in the work of the kingdom. She was busy all the time in such a religious way when she was not making red flannel petticoats for the dusky maidens of the South Seas. She was involved and engaged in writing letters of reform to protest this and to protest that. She was the busiest woman in all of England. But the fact of the matter was her own house was a pigsty. And her children were the biggest little savages in town. 
I don't think God thinks very highly of that type of activity in which we are engaged. Yet, in this day and age, how many preachers' kids and Christian doctors' kids and Christian lawyers' kids and Christian public servants' kids grow up to go astray simply because those people to whom God had entrusted their birth and their care were so busy out there in the vineyard that they forgot to take care of their chief responsibility in their own backyard. You see, it's doubly important that those of us who dare to call ourselves Christian do not become so involved in the world out there that we forget the world here, because so often it is here where God is speaking to us to enable us to go out there to get involved in the business of the world. I sometimes think God must be terribly frustrated. He must take Maylocks, Anison, and everything else because of the problems which we cause him here in life. Can you imagine the frustration of the deity when here he has created a, a wonderful young man or a young, wonderful young woman, and within that person he has placed certain abilities as well as limitations to make that individual a unique personality. And he brings them down into the world to particular parents living in a particular part of the vineyard. And it is God's plan and purpose that this individual will eventually be able to solve some of the problems that are in the world. And he has equipped that individual with that ability to do so. And then this young person goes to Sunday school and goes to church, but never really catches the message that God has created them for a particular business. And then comes the time for them to act. And God expects them, with their abilities and their talents, to come to the forefront to be his solution in the world. But all they can do is pray to God asking that he will send somebody to be the solution. And they never quite realize that maybe they are the ones that God is using to bring about the solution to the problem. How many of us get so involved in praying for the world and praying for the justice of the world that we forget that the business of justice begins when we obey the laws of our own community. How many of us are praying that there will be love throughout all of the world, but we forget that love begins when we speak to our rather rude neighbor who is not acting very Christian towards us? We pray for a revival in the world, but we forget that a revival begins with me. Poor God. I wouldn't have his job for all the money in the world. And sometimes I'm afraid that in me, yes, and in you, God wonders if he didn't somehow make a mistake and 
has to rise up someone else to take our place. God's will is not done many times because we don't mind our own business and we don't find the joy and the happiness that we're intended to have until we know what it is to find our own business. Because, you see, if God does create us for a plan and a purpose and has given to this specific body and mind and personality certain abilities and, yes, certain limitations, then if these particular things are going to work together and find harmony and joy and fulfillment, they do so when they find that for which they are created. The earnest prayer of your pastors and I hope of many of our people will be that during this Lenten season, when during these 40 days and these six particular Sundays we worship together and live together, we may help by the grace of God one another to find the business for which we have been created. For if we do not know why it is that God has placed us upon this earth. You know, we can't be much good to ourselves, to other people, and to God.